Hello, everyone. Welcome to our listeners in the Big Apple from across the U.S. and around the world. I'm Jeff Goodman, and you've tuned into Rediscovering New York. Professionally, I'm a real estate broker with Halstead Real Estate, and I love New York. Rediscovering New York is a weekly program about the history, texture, and vibe of our amazing city. And we do it through interviews with historians, local business owners, nonprofit organizations, preservationists, local musicians and artists, and the occasional elected official. On some shows like tonight, we focus on an individual New York neighborhood, exploring its history and its current energy. What makes that particular New York neighborhood special? Sometimes we host shows about an interesting and vital color of the city and its history that's not focused on one particular neighborhood. Prior episodes have covered topics as diverse and illuminating as American presidents who came from, lived in, or had some interesting history here in the city, about half of them, the history of women activists and the women's suffrage movement in the city, African-American history in New York, going back to the time of the Dutch, and the history of the city's LGBT community and the gay rights movement. We've explored the history of bicycles and cycling, the history of punk and opera in New York, they were separate shows, and we've explored the city's greatest train stations and even some of its bridges. After the broadcast, each show is available on podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and other services. Tonight, we're traveling not only across some water, but probably across the largest body of water in the city. I'm referring to Jamaica Bay, where we're going to visit Rockaway in Queens. Rockaways is actually a 10-mile long and about a half-mile wide peninsula. Our show is going to cover the neighborhood on the eastern end of Rockaway, adjacent to Nassau County, and includes the communities of Arvern, Edgemere, Wavecrest, and Far Rockaway. Our first guest is a returning guest to Rediscovering New York, Jason Antos. Jason is a journalist and author of six well-received books on the borough of Queens. He's a graduate of the University of Miami and is a lifelong New Yorker. His family has lived in all the five boroughs since 1913. His first book on the history of Whitestone was published in 2006 when he was just 25. The next year, he wrote the first history book ever to be written about Chase Stadium. It's currently in its fourth printing. How's that for success? His latest book will be on the history of Douglaston and Little Neck, which will be a subject of a future program on Rediscovering New York. Jason recently is the newly appointed associate editor of the Queen's Chronicle, and if that's not enough, he's the president of the Queen's Historical Society. Jason, a hearty welcome back to Rediscovering New York. Thank you for having me back. You're originally from New York. What neighborhood did you grow up in? Oh, I grew up in a town called Whitestone, which is uh, north of Flushing. It's the northern tip of Queens County. And do you still live in Flushing and Whitestone now? Yep, I'm still here. 39 uh, years. Wow. <laughs> Since uh, birth, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay, great, great. When did you first become interested in, in the city's history? Oh, I've been, I've been interested with local history ever since I was a kid, uh, ever since I was in uh, public school. Um, I really, uh, my grandparents used to tell me a lot of stories about their experiences growing up in New York City and in Manhattan and in Brooklyn, and uh, very nostalgic they were for their their history um as uh, far as it was concerned in in those uh, parts of the city so that kind of built up the foundation for my interest in, in it and you know then i started asking questions about my own environment here in whitestone different houses different places and you know kind of went from there mm. 
case our listeners are hearing a little background, it's a little after seven o'clock in New York, and many of our uh, citizens are thanking the healthcare workers, the brave healthcare workers who are um, risking their lives to, to to keep New Yorkers safe and to and to treat us in the midst of this pandemic. Jason, when and how did you get involved with the Queens Historical Society? Uh, Queens Historical Society, yes. I started, uh, um, I first communicated with them about 15 years ago in 2005. I was working on the Whystone book, um, and they were, the, they were actually the first historical society that I had contacted when doing research. I mean, it was, you know, I was new to this uh, field, and, you know, uh, they were, you know, I was very nervous. It was my, my first outing, and when I got in uh, contact with them, you know, they were, I found them to be so down to earth and they provided me with so much information and um, they were my go-to people for practically all of my projects. And then uh, a few years ago, I was asked uh, to serve on the board. And uh, then recently, earlier this year, was asked to be the president. So I was very honored. Actually, I remember that night. I think you were, it was the it was the day you were on our, our your first show with us, and uh, you had become the president that that afternoon. Yeah. Um, going to Rockaway. Um, let's let's talk about the neighborhood first. Some people wonder how did Rockaway get its name. So Rockaway, uh, you know, like many places across the uh, five boroughs across the city, upstate, and even Long Island, uh, a lot of names derive from Native American terms. Okay. So you have, um, for example, Flushing, where I'm from, is named after uh, the, well, that's actually a Dutch name, but uh, surrounding Flushing, you have Maspeth, which comes from the Native American word Maspeth, which means the place of dirty water. Uh, it also North- means Mishpacha in Yiddish, but I don't know that yes. if that was where the yes. name is from. Okay, yes, yes, very good. <laughs> uh, a word I'm well acquainted with. The... Um, <laughs> North Shore of Long Island uh, is named uh, the people who live there referred to it as uh, Matinecock, you know, place of uh, rolling hills, high ground. Uh, So always after the geological uh, oddities or look of the terrain is where the name comes from. So uh, Rockaway is a corruption of the word uh, Rekiowake, which is a Lenape word. The Lenape uh, Native Americans, that's their word for a place of, of sand or the sandy place. Mm. By the beach. <laughs> By the beach. Um, did, did native Lenape people actually live in Rockaway before the Dutch settled the area or did oh. they just sort of know it and, and, and call it that? Oh, uh, sure. No, they, 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 they lived, they lived there. Um, they lived, uh, they, they would move around quite often, but no, they, they definitely, uh, lived uh, close to any place, especially there because it was by the water. It was a place to hunt and to fish, you know, so it was a source of a uh, major source of sustenance. So there would definitely be, um, it would, it would kind of be granted that there would be a settlement there. You know, sometimes we, you know, we talk about uh, uh, the Lenape people having sold Manhattan to the Dutch. I don't know that uh, uh, Native peoples in those days had the concept of actually owning land, and they may have thought about it as 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 renting the land for a while. Did did the Native Lenape people in Rockaway um, actually also reach an agreement with the Dutch for them to buy it or to use the, the land? Sure. I mean, it was uh, all done with uh, land. Uh, the land deals were done with trading. So it was a trading of goods. 
uh, and their deal with the Dutch was very typical of most deals that were struck um, across the metropolitan area. Uh, there's the old story that Flushing itself was sold for um, for uh, one uh, uh, one axe for every 50 acres of land. That's what was traded. So it was kind of something similar in this case. I wonder if it was more or less than they got from Manhattan. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, probably much more of a raw deal, yeah. Uh, um, and then the Dutch were only here for forty years or so, and then the, and then the British took over. Mm-hmm. Who was Richard Cornell, and 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 who was yeah. he in 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 Rockaway? So Richard Cornell uh, is an interesting character. He's uh, one of the first settlers, uh, although he's not probably the first European settler. He's the first um, European settler who had a very uh, extensive um, uh, uh, homestead and numerous family members living there. So it was very, very expansive. And he ended up buying the majority, uh, if not all of the Rockway Peninsula and his family held it for a very, very, very long time uh, for hundreds of years. Uh, today, uh, his, uh, he was a Quaker. He was an Englishman. And uh, most of his descendants were Quakers as well. Uh, to this very day, uh, there is still the Cornell Cemetery in the Rockaways. Um, I believe it's on uh, uh, Gateway Boulevard in the Rockaways. There's, it's a small grassy area in between two buildings, but it's a cemetery with uh, all of the descendants from Richard Cornell who have been buried there over the past 200 some odd years. Wow, and so that dates maybe even back to the 17th century, then. Yes, uh, one of wow. the I think the earliest uh, the uh, the earliest grave in there I think is from the early 1700s. It's pre-revolutionary war, and then it goes all the way up until the early 1800s. But you have, you know, I don't think anyone has been buried there in at least over a century, well over a century, more. Mm. And uh, but it's uh, still there. Um, it's a landmark. It was designated a landmark, I believe, in 1970 by the city of New York, and. There it is. Was there any significant Revolutionary War history, Jason, in the Rockaways? Revolutionary War history in the Rockaways? Well, not not to, to, to my knowledge, although I do know in neighboring Jamaica, uh, which is, you know, you know, on the other side of the bay, uh, there was extensive uh, Revolutionary War activity. Um, Jamaica, uh, also, by the way, the name Jamaica comes from the word Yameko, which means the place of the beaver pelt. That's where most of the beaver pelts were uh, harvested in in that in that area by Native Americans. So that's what ju- the term Jamaica is, and it's a corruption of that word. Um, and then that one for our listeners who may not know that was also the major export when the Dutch were in uh, New Netherland and New Amsterdam. That was the biggest yes. cash export uh, yeah. to go back to back to the Netherlands. It was all about the beaver pelts, absolutely. The um, the major the thing uh, there in in Jamaica though that was where a lot of the British uh, were in, were camped. Queens was pro Tory, so they were pro British. Uh, so Queens was not uh, uh, willing to become uh, separate from from England. The um, and that is also Jamaica's where evacuation day took place. That is when the the uh, British marched to their flagships and departed for England at the end of the Revolutionary War. Ah, so they departed from in Jamaica Bay and not from Lower Manhattan then. Oh, wow, wow, Jamaica cool. Bay, yep. I didn't know that. Um, let's, um, 
fast forward um, about 100 years to the 19th century. Um, people went to the Rockaways for leisure, especially in the summertime. When did people start going there to, to leisure? So you have uh, really around, even as far as the early 1800s, there were plans to develop and cultivate the area uh, for a seaside fun and activities. Uh, and I believe it was one of the first major land purchases in the Rockaways that happened just before the Civil War. And this was the purchase of the Cornell family homestead. Uh, and it was purchased to build a seaside pavilion, which I believe was called the Marine Pavilion. And this was one of the first major pavilions. You know, these seaside pavilions, uh, it included a hotel. It was like a resort, basically. And it included uh, gambling. It included nightlife. It included, um, you know, anything having to do with the ocean. You know, and actually seaside life it had indoor spas and things like this. And that's that was one of the first um, indications that it could be a successful seaside attraction. Mm. Was there anything different about the Rockaways as a place where people from New York went during the summer compared to uh, that other great summer playground in New York, Coney Island? Sure. Well, I mean, it was it was competition. It was competition. There was always Coney Island was always the um, the go to place. But there were several um, attempts to uh, beat out Coney Island uh, with uh, the Rockaways. And then in the northern tip of Queens was the creation of North Beach, which stood for a sanctuary. North Beach was the North Shore Seaside Community uh, Pavilion and um, Amusement Park area. And in 1926, it was torn down to build LaGuardia Airport. So it was always uh, competitors to, to Coney Island. What was Rockaway's Playland and when did it close? Rockaway Playland, I believe, opened around uh, the early 1900s, maybe as far back as 1901, 1902. And it was the um, it was really for the for several decades uh, through the Civil War, all the way up to the late 1800s. There were numerous, numerous once the Marine Pavilion opened up and it was successful. um, These places were very uh, susceptible to fire because they were made almost exclusively from from wood. So, and then you have the wind coming off of the water. So fires were very typical. So a lot of these pavilions, they would burn down, they would be rebuilt, or another uh, one from a competitor would take its place. And this kind of went all the way up until the early 1900s. And then with the installation of the Playland, uh, 1901-02, again, it was to compete with uh, Coney Island and with the amusement park uh, at North Beach, which had become extremely popular by that time. Thank you. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to continue our historical conversation about Rockaway with historian Jason Antos. We'll be back in just a minute. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Do you 
run or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant. And on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. To Rediscovering New York and our episode about Rockaway and Queens. My first guest is historian Jason Antos, who's also author and uh, president of the Queens Historical Society. Jason, you're pretty prolific for um, someone who hasn't been uh, <laughs> uh, around for like decades and decades. Your first book was on Whitestone, then you, bo- you wrote a book on Chase Stadium. Um, and now you told me uh, that you are working on your proofs for Douglaston and Little Neck. What other books have you written on the history of Queens? Uh, well, I did, as you mentioned, the Whitestone and the Shea Stadium book. Um, I did the two then and now books, which was very interesting. One on all of Queens, uh, which included a chapter on the Rockaways, and uh, one on Flushing. And uh, then I did the two co-authored books uh, with my co-author, Dean Theodosio. Uh, that was uh, Jackson Heights and Corona. If our listeners wanted to find out more about your books and maybe order them, where could they go to find that out? Sure. They could find all of the titles on Amazon.com um, and also on uh, at uh, ArcadiaPublishing.com. Well, great. Jason, uh, his last name, by the way, is spelled A-N-T-O-S when you're in the search box of Amazon. Um, moving back to Rockaway, um, let's talk a little bit about the residential development. When did it really uh, start to take shape in Rockaway? When would Rockaway have become a place where people lived year-round? Sure. So that really began after the Civil War, uh, around uh, in the 1870s, maybe late 1870s, 1880s. We had the creation of a town called Bayswater um, by a man named uh, William Bailey Treast or William Treast Bailey. I can't remember which one, uh, the, the the middle from the last name, but that was in 1878 with Bayswater. Uh, and that was, uh, you know, all of these things, they happened very gradually. And every every time a little town or a boom town opened or an amusement park, it was a test to see if it could create and turn profits, if it can lure investors. Uh, so really, this was touch and go. The development of the Rockaways was touch and go, <coughs> excuse me, until from the early 1800s, until 1900. Uh, Then you have the creation of the Playland in 1901, which draws a lot of people 
And of course, there are certain communities that are built around the playland to accommodate the summer crowds. But the object here is to create a year-long population. Uh, and that really, really takes off after World War I. So mm. World War I, you have uh, development in the borough. Uh, the uh, in, Industrial Revolution, so to speak, comes to Queens at around that time. The Rockaways just becomes one of the many neighborhoods that gets taken up by this. And that's really when the expansion, population-wise, uh, starts to happen. Wasn't there, the uh, the city was consolidated uh, in 1898, before 1898. Um, Manhattan was its own city with a bit of the Bronx. Brooklyn was its own city. And there were lots of villages in Queens until the, the big consolidation in 1898. Wasn't there some controversy on whether or not Rockaway would become part of Greater New York when, when all this was taking place? Sure. Uh, there was controversy all over the, the county uh, the further east you went. So you had um, uh, most of uh, what what is all of today Nassau County before 1898 was or before 1899 slash 1900 was part of Queens. So all of Nassau County was part of Queens. All of far Rockaway, the Nassau County side of the Rockaway was all part of Queens. Okay. So there was a huge debate whether if some if um, places that were so far uh, removed from the center, from Brooklyn, from Manhattan, would even uh, benefit by being part of this consolidation. Uh, because it was a very, uh, you know, Manhattan from someone living in Suffolk County, Long Island, was a very inaccessible place. So the territories of what would become Nassau County and Far Rockaway uh, were that was the debate as to whether they should become part of the consolidation. So in 1898, uh, Queens becomes part of the five boroughs of the city. And then uh, in 1899, January of 1899, uh, Western Nassau County, uh, or the, the what would become Western Nassau, succeeds from greater Queens County. And then in 1900, the rest of the east of Nassau County uh, is created and becomes its own independent entity. From the didn't, didn't part of Rockaway actually try to secede from the city? <laughs> uh, yeah. it, it was, uh, they wanted to create its own independent area, but most of the Rockaways is part of the uh, township of, of Jamaica. Uh, and then, uh, so there was, a, there was a huge dispute as to what, what would happen. I mean, it was like, it was like being torn up in three different three different ways. So it was uh, very ugly and you had a lot of political battles and property battles. But then by 1900, it kind of got, you know, it was a very, it was a debate that only took a couple of years before it got sorted out. Oh, I wonder, you know, they say history repeats itself, Jason. I wonder if, if some of the moves to secede from the city were anything like, like uh, Staten Island's uh, rumblings in, in the early, in the late eighties and early nineties to secede sure. from the city. Yeah, no, no, it's uh, it's definitely one of those things where they feel if they're too far away and it's too inaccessible, uh, then uh, why why pay the taxes and why not become independent and benefit on their own? I mean, that's usually the the mentality and the method. Well, I always just get a little farther afield, but I always thought that when the consolidation happened, um, you know, Brooklyn uh, had a lot of city services. I always thought that some areas in Queens at that point had a lot to gain, certainly, you know, services, water sure. uh, and, and consolidated services. Um, Rockaway was really far afield. Um, 
what was, I want to ask you the question a little bit about Hog Island. Hog Island was part of Rockaway. What was it and what happened to it? Hog Island, the, the mystery of Hog Island, the legacy of Hog Island. It was a huge, uh, enormous sandbar that uh, was created over a century period uh, due to many storms that had hit the south shore of Long Island. Uh, today, it's now what would be known as Island Park. Okay, so that neighborhood is uh, what uh, would be near or on the former Hog Island. Uh, there are many different um, uh, uh, methods, or not methods, or uh, tales as to where the, the name comes from. Uh, was it because Native Americans raised hogs there? Other uh, explanations uh, to the, the legend uh, say that it, the name derives from the shape of it, that it looked like the back of a hog, you know, the, the curvature of the back of a hog, you know, so all these different little explanations. But Hog Island uh, pretty much was destroyed the way that it was created. It was destroyed in a series of hurricanes that happened in the late 1800s. Uh, that just that that wrecked the area. They just you know uh, again and again and again. It was just the Long Island had been pummeled by I think something like five or six hurricanes in a row, and that's what completely destroyed uh, the island in the late eighteen eighteen nineties. Who were James Remsen and William Wainwright, and how did they impact the development of of Rockaway? Remsen and Wainwright were huge uh, developers. Um, I'm not too uh, I'm not too knowledgeable on on the history of their development efforts, though. Mm. But Remsen, uh, but Remsen is another one of those ancient Queens names that goes back to the early founders of of the county. Is it the same Remsen that Remsen Street's named after in Brooklyn Heights? Sure. I mean, there's a, the yeah, you had Remsen so, Street here in in uh, Flushing, uh, which is a, uh, an older street name that doesn't exist anymore, and and most of Remsen was. Uh, located just south of LaGuardia Airport in the eastern part of uh, where Astoria and Elmhurst meet. Well, the famous Robert Moses uh, impacted a lot of things in New York, and he, he certainly made his imprint on on the Rockaways. What? How did his uh, policies and some of his projects influence, influence Rockaway? Well, Robert Moses, the master builder of New York City, uh, uh, was somebody who was notorious for dividing New York with uh, his um, development plans. Uh, and he really, really wanted the Rockaways. Robert Moses had a, um, a huge attraction to waterfront property. Uh, actually, where, where I live in, in northern Queens, and uh, this area was actually developed. My, my apartment building was born out of out of one of the very few failed Robert Moses experiments, he wanted to make it a a huge uh, mile long uh, boardwalk on the northern tip of Queens, and he had bought all the farms in this area and all the seaside uh, estates, pushed them out, cleared the way, and when that development fell through, he sold it to a private developer who built this building that I live in today. So a little bit of Robert Moses history there. But Robert Moses uh, feasted his eyes on the Rockaways because it's prime real estate. It's by the water. Okay. And he knew that water was a big attraction. Um, he built the, um, you know, he wanted, he was part of something called the uh, Committee on Slum Clearance, um, which was a very, very controversial uh, thing 
where uh, he had uh, used his uh, power and the power of the city behind him to clear away many slums that were in the Rockways to, in the name of building uh, public housing. Uh, there was another notorious project, which was the Shorefront Parkway uh, project, which uh, actually resulted in the the removal of, of Rockways Playland. It, I think it, 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 it like cut it in half. Uh, and today it's a very, you know, not very heavily traveled parkway. So a lot of, you know, it was, a, you know, Rockways, like most of the five boroughs, especially Queens, kind of just came under his uh, vision for, for development. In, uh, I believe it was in the 1950s, late 50s. Well, Jason, in the couple of minutes we have left, I have a, a, a two-part question. How, um, how Rockaway was devastated by Superstorm Sandy in 2012, and what has development and reconstruction been like since then? So after Superstorm Sandy, you know, the area was devastated uh, terribly. I was, um, I had actually been down there a couple of days after I was uh, working at another news agency at the time and had taking photographs on uh, as someone who uh, did not grow up in the Rockways, but our family business was in the Rockways for almost 30 years. So I had known the Rockways very well. And uh, seeing the devastation there and knowing that uh, the, the dangers, you know, because it's not the first time that hurricanes have hit the area, but it's the first time that a, that a massive storm like that had hit the area after it had been so populated. And uh, so it's uh, something that now, you know, the Rockaways deserves to bounce back from this. And it is. I mean, people are, are moving to the Rockaways and it's going to be and it's one of those, uh, quote unquote, un, undiscovered parts of the city that I think is becoming discovered uh, quite quickly in the past couple of years. And people, especially from Brooklyn, people from greater Queens are are making their way down there. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I grew up in Manhattan Beach, which was by the ocean, but um, uh, my mother had friends uh, in Rockaway, and it was a real treat for us. It was a different kind of ocean. It was open ocean, and we used to go there and loved and loved visiting them in the summertime. Yeah. Um, our first guest on the show about Rockaway has been Jason Antos. Jason is the president of the Queens Historical Society and has written seven books, including on Whitestone, Douglaston and Little Nick, Shea Stadium. Uh, Flushing and Jackson Heights. Uh, if I've left any one of them, any neighborhood out, Jason, I apologize. Thanks so much for being a guest on Rediscovering New York. Thank you for having me. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to speak with our second guest more about the recent Rockaways. That's going to be Council Member Donovan Richards, who represents the 31st District. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network at www.talkingalternative.com. Now, broadcasting 24 hours a day. Talking Alternative. Do you run or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. Do you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? 
I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. I'm the aptly named host of Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio, big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. Fundraising, board relations, social media, my guests and I cover everything that small and mid-sized shops struggle with. If you have big dreams and a small budget, you have a home at Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Fridays, 1 to 2 Eastern at TalkingAlternative.com. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. And you're back to Rediscovering New York. Support for the program comes from our sponsors, the Mark Myman team, mortgage strategist at Freedom Mortgage. For assistance in any kind of residential mortgage, Mark and his team can be reached at 646-330-4735. And support also comes from the law offices of Thomas Siaka, specializing in wills, estate planning, probate, and inheritance litigation. Tom and his staff can be reached at 212-495-0317. Rediscovering New York is about New York, especially its neighborhoods, and the myriad textures of our amazing city. There's another great show on the air about New York and specifically about the business of real estate. Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco, my friend and colleague at Halstead. Vince's show airs live on Tuesday mornings at 9 a.m. on voiceamerica.com and also on podcast. You can like this show on Facebook, and you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter. My handle's there at Jeff Goodman NYC. If you have comments or questions, or if you'd like to get on our mailing list, please email me, jeff at rediscoveringnewyork.nyc. One other note before we get to our second guest, even though the show is not a program about the real estate business in New York, when I am not on the air, I am indeed a real estate agent in our amazing city, where I help my clients buy, sell, lease, and rent property. If you or someone you care about is considering a move into, out of, or within New York, I would love to help you with all those real estate needs. You can reach me and my team at 646 306-4761. Well, our second guest is a very special guest on Rediscovering New York. It's Council Member Donovan Richards. Council Member Richards is a lifelong resident of Southeast Queens and the Rockaways and has been a member of the City Council since March of 2013. In his first term, Richards served as chair of the Committee on Environmental Protection, which allowed him to address the decades-old systemic issue of flooding in Southeast Queens. Richard secured more than $1.5 billion to help fill the enormous sewer infrastructure hole in Southeast Queens. As the chair of the Council's Committee on Zoning and Franchises, Councilmember Richards helped negotiate a stronger, more inclusive affordable housing plan and made history when the Council passed the most aggressive affordable housing policy in the United States. In January of 2018, Councilmember Richards started his second term by being named chair of the Committee on Public Safety. As chair, he has held oversight hearings on the NYPD's marijuana enforcement strategies, the Special Victims Division, the opioid crisis, school safety, and their internal discipline systems. 
Councilmember Richards is a member of many other committees on the council, and I'll also mention that he's running for Queens Borough President. Councilmember Donovan Richards, a hearty welcome to Rediscovering New York. Thank you for having me. And what a, a great segment prior to me getting on, just hearing all that great history. But it's great to be here with you, Jeff. Well, it's good to be here with you, too. And I have to say that I heard you this morning on Brian Lehrer's show. Not that I'm competition to Brian, but uh, it, was, uh, it sort of bookended the beginning of the day. And you were on this morning and now on another show about New York. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm thankful to have you on the show tonight. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, our program is about neighborhoods, but but also about the people who speak with us about their neighborhoods. And I want to talk a little bit about your personal history. Um, you were from the Rockaways originally, and you represent it now. You're from Arvern, aren't you? Uh, so I'm I was born to teenage parents. I lived a little bit everywhere in Queens. Um, so being born to about a 16, 17 year old mother and uh, a, a, a father, um certainly provided me many opportunities there's no one place that i can say i grew up but uh even though most people think i grew up in rockaway i had family my grandfather lived in arbor and ocean village my aunt still is there now my grandfather actually died in arbor and in ocean village and in my adult life so long, short story is my parents used to drop me to arbor every weekend <laughs> uh coming up uh, and then I ended up living in the same exact building where my grandfather actually uh, lived and also passed in, in my further in my adult life, uh, early 20s. Um, so, um, yeah, so I'm a product of everywhere you could think of in South Queens, from Jamaica to St. Albans, to Roseville, to Laurelton, to Springfield and to the Rockaways as well. Well, that's the quintessential New Yorker, uh, especially <laughs> the quintessential Queens citizen. Um, Donovan, when did you, you you've been part of the you've been a member of the council since 2013. When did you start getting involved with community activities? Oh, a very unfortunate incident led me to the city council. It was about, uh, I want to say about 2003, March of 2003, when I had a very close friend of mine who grew up in St. Albans with me, actually, who, who unfortunately was killed uh, in South uh, Jamaica, Queens, near uh, not far from the Baisley houses. He was uh, a year older than me. I was about uh, 18 years old when he was shot and killed in Southeast Queens and uh, decided to go to a meeting on gun violence after I went to his funeral, maybe a week or two later, where I met my local council member at the time, who was uh, council member James Sanders. And literally, I didn't know anything about um, politics. That's the that's the whole funny thing. I, I think I served on the city council in the fourth grade in public school. Uh, and I think I was lobbying for more pizza at the time. Not that we were that successful in that endeavor. Um, but but moving back to 2003, after after the uh, murder of my childhood friend, Darnell Patterson, I uh, met my local council member, ended up working for him. Uh, getting an opportunity to work for him in November 2003 and was at the council 10 years prior to running for office in 2013. Mm. You were elected in March of that year. Usually city elections are in November. Um, what was happening in the district that necessitated an election before November? Uh, it feels like this Queensboro president's race, but, uh, <laughs> but we, <laughs> but we, uh, <laughs> right, right. History repeats itself. As I said, in the last segment, it's exactly March. Well, it was March, right. Exactly. March. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, my, my predecessor, James Sanders is now at the state Senate. So, uh, he, he ran, uh, versus an incumbent. Uh, he was an incumbent himself, obviously coming from the city council and won 
that race, uh, which opened up the seat, I think Mayor Bloomberg at the time declared the special election around January 7th. And the election was slated for somewhere, I think, around March 19th or so. And uh, and I came in in a special election and, and actually won versus about 10 other candidates. Mm. Well, the, th- this show is not a political show, but I'm a little bit of a political junkie. So I, I got to ask you what are your questions about that? What was your what was your first race for the council like? Oh, boy. I mean, it was the dead winter. I mean, it was winter. I was out knocking doors during a blizzard. I'll, I'll never forget this uh, young lady. Uh, who was much older in her 80s and 90s, yelling at me at her door, go home, you're going to win. Get out of this blizzard. Uh, she, literally, she's like, I'm your grandmother. I'm like, I've never met you, man, but okay, I'm your grandson. And I continue to knock on doors. I, I just remember it being very cold. Um, it was a very interesting political cycle because you had about 10 candidates, like I said, running, but I overwhelmingly had a lot of union support uh, around the city, a lot of support, obviously, from the community who knew me who saw me as their child, their grandson, um, because I, they knew me from when I was 19 years old, when I started off and didn't have fitted suits um, or many suits to wear at that time and ended up uh, winning. <laughs> Donovan, your first chair of a council committee was the Committee on Environmental Protection. What had you decide that, that, that you wanted to take the reins of this committee? Well, it was very interesting political time because I could have actually lobbied for any committee I wanted. I was a, a very important vote um, for back then uh, Speaker Melissa Mark Viverito um, coming from South Queens. And actually what was interesting behind the scenes, um, you know, you had a lot of I had people I've never met, council members, people who are running for office who actually were looking to see where my vote was going to go. So it's very interesting political times. And I'm like fielding these calls from people like, are you going with her? And, you know, uh, so it's very, very interesting. But one of the reasons I classic politics in 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 a caucus when, you know, when you have the majority and and, and speaker election is up. Yeah. Well, you know what? I didn't know what the hell I was doing, actually. I I could be honest. I mean, at this time, looking back, you know, I was just being (laughs) genuine. You know, it's like I came in like many young people, bushy eyes. We're going to change the world, which I still believe we can. But, you know, now I understand the game a little bit more. But in all honesty, I looked to chair um the committee which people thought i was crazy to lobby for environmental protection at that time i had people say to me um behind the scenes you should lobby for something better because you can get it but i thought environmental protection was key coming um in a post sandy world and then you, you think about all of the systematic issues around infrastructure in black and brown communities in queens south queens when it rains, uh, even in a slight rain, you had senior citizens and people and homeowners' basements underwater on an average day. I thought it would be key to, to chair a committee to bring home some money uh, to the community to address this decades-long uh, issue. And of course, when um, you build infrastructure, it just doesn't support a particular community. It can it can also support communities around, which which you did with the. Uh, with the enormous sewer infrastructure that 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 you facilitated being built, um, Donovan, now you're the chair of the committee on public safety. What had you decide that you wanted to leave this committee after the last council election? Well, actually, it, it's very interesting. I I was environmental protection chairman, 
then ended up uh, Mark Weprin at the time, who was a city council member who ran for speaker, uh, decided to go work for Governor Cuomo. So there was an opening on the zoning and franchises committee, which I got a call from back then Speaker Melissa Mark, Mark Viverito to chair. Um, so zoning really opened my, my eyes up to how this city runs, um, who are the players. Um, you know, everybody yells, you know, we need a thousand percent affordable housing, but you got to make the money work. You got to know how deals work. So that particular committee opened my eyes to how the city work. I obviously worked very closely with uh, Mayor de Blasio back then on mandatory inclusionary housing and zoning for quality and affordability. But then fast forward to, to public safety. I mean, I got here because I had a friend who got killed. Also being a, a young black male from Southeast Queens, um, you know, with my experiences with the NYPD, I thought we would be able to come forward and, and bring a little bit of that experience and try to uh, work on the community police relations piece with the NYPD and push them in a different direction. So it's been full circle, uh, God willing, ending my time at the council now, I think it will be close to 18 years I would have been here. Um, I will miss this place to, to, to quite be, to be honest with you. I love the city council. So much great people and great work to be done here. But I'm sorry, and cut me off if I'm being long-winded because I, I'm a politician. You know, we can talk forever. Um, but, 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 but Not when I've seen you at events line. you haven't. But. <laughs> yeah, but, but public safety is full circle. It's no, listen, the NYPD is the greatest department in the world. Do they need uh, improvements and reforms? Absolutely, yes. But there are some great people there. And this has been an honor to actually chair this committee. Mm. Well, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Councilmember Donovan Richards, whose 31st district also represents the Rockaways. We'll be back in a moment. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. I'm the aptly named host of Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. Fundraising, board relations, social media. My guests and I cover everything that small and mid-sized shops struggle with. If you have big dreams and a small budget, you have a home at Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Fridays, 1 to 2 Eastern at TalkingAlternative.com. you a conscious co-creator are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness i'm sam Leibowitz, your conscious consultant and on my show the conscious consultant hour awakening humanity we will touch upon all these topics and more listen live at our new time on thursdays at 12 noon eastern time that's the conscious consultant hour awakening humanity thursdays 12 noon on talkradio.nyc We're back. 
to Rediscovering New York and our program about Rockaway in Queens. Uh, my second guest is Councilmember Donovan Richards. He represents the 31st District on the New York City Council, and part of his district includes Rockaway. Donovan, I want to talk about Rockaway, but I, I got to ask you another political question, uh, being a, a political <laughs> junkie that I am. Um, what had you decide that you wanted to run for borough president of Queens, which you're running for right now? Well, when you look at what we've accomplished, uh, I mean, over the course of the last seven to eight years, uh, rezoning downtown Far Rockaway, you know, everybody talks about affordable housing. We're shepherding in close to, I think, around 10,000 units of affordable housing. You talk about infrastructure, even though right in your in your opening, you cited one point five billion that has now grown to close to two billion. We've uh, bringing the first precinct to Queens, uh, a 70 to 80 million dollar precinct, which will be built in my district in Rosedale um, with a community center space in it, which plaza space outside to really merge that relationship between police and community. Um, When you talk about the work we've done as uh, as zoning chair citywide, understanding the needs and how to get housing deals done working with an administration, whether you agree with them 100% on every issue is, is besides the point, but how do you land that plane? So when you look at the things a, a, a borough president is tasked with, land use, uh, the budget, uh, community boards, uh, infrastructure needs around a borough, you know, we've done it in District 31. When you look at where my district started at when I came in the office after Hurricane Sandy. Think about this, an area devastated. Love Jason's history on this, um, where we had the beach and the bay meet, but yet we were able to turn a crisis into an opportunity to improve the quality of life for residents of our community, to jumpstart the economy in our community, something that was hurt. Uh, because of desolate land owned by uh, some people who didn't want to develop their lands, but really unlocking those opportunities. This, just this week, uh, we were able to, uh, just yesterday, the Army Corps of Engineers announced close to, I think, $600 million, which we lobbied for to finally uh, build some protections along the beach and the bay for our community. We've done it all. Climate change, zoning, public safety. You speak to any Queens resident, those are the three things that they're talking about. I want to ask you a, a personal question about about Sandy. Um, you were on the council at that point and certainly been yep. involved in community affairs. After the the shock of the initial devastation in the first couple of days, but in the coming weeks, what were you feeling about the place that your uh, that your grandparents had lived in and that you and that your your, your boss, Councilmember Sanders, was was representing? What was going through your mind about about it? There was nothing to fail at that time. We had to get to work. I mean, there were people who lost everything. And and just a reminder, just as we are seeing now with COVID-19, uh, there was no real response from the government. I mean, FEMA, it took them about three to four weeks to finally reach my district. So we had to, to jump in. And I, I literally was out of electricity. I didn't have electricity yet during that time. Um, because something happened with, with uh, the wires on my block. So literally, I was going home to uh, no power as well, uh, no lighting um, as well. But, but during that period, uh, one of the things I worked very closely with my predecessor, and I was like, we have to do something. We didn't have lights, but we could open our office up to become a relief center. During that period, I actually amassed, I mean, I put the call out on Facebook, uh, we had people sending us generators from around the country, 
We had advocacy groups coming in. We amassed a lot of clothing. There were a lot of people lining up at our office uh, with newborn babies who didn't even have pampers or a shirt on their back or shirts for their babies. And we really uh, got supplies out uh, out to the community. So very similar to COVID to a great degree, as we see now, uh, helping the community, getting food. I mean, there were, there were no stores open. You got to think about this. We, we have the luxury right now is we have supermarkets open. There were no supermarkets open during Sandy back then. Uh, there was no electricity on the peninsula. So it was really uh, jump, jumping into this and trying to help every resident that we could. And, you know, and, and um, it was just a terrible time. I mean, I, I reflect on that all the time. Um, but I'm happy to say my community has been much more prepared during COVID because of that experience. Mm. Well, and that brings us to Rockaway today, the Rockaway that's been reborn and revitalized. Describe the vibe of Rockaway, Donovan. What is it that you like about it? Oh, man, there's no place like it. I mean, you know, as someone who lived, I mean, first of all, let's just start with the affordability. I mean, you know, you look at where um, where evictions have historically happened around the city while a lot of communities are being squeezed and losing their character. Um, even as we build a new, and let me be clear, there are people building a new Rockaway, but our position has been, we have to leave this place better than we found it. Uh, I mean, the vibe is just, there's no place like it. I, it's, it's, you have to live there to understand it. It's a very close knit community where you actually know your neighbor, where you speak to your neighbors, um, where generations of people have grown up together, where their kids, kids are living with each other. They know each other on a first name basis. Um, um, it's just a special place. The beach is there, not to say that because we live on the beach, we're always at the beach, but it's absolutely a stunning beach. Um, but there's still a lot of inequities. But even through those inequities, what's most awesome about Rockaway is during the devastation, during crises, people pull together. I think that is, during Sandy, people uh, were, were, their apartments were flushed out on the first apartments. If you lived in public housing, guess what? People opened their couches up for their neighbors. I mean, it's just, it's a real community, very rare to see in New York City these days. Um, and we're just trying to hold it all together now. I frequently ask my my guests about the about how the vibe has changed and evolved. But in, in Rockaway, you you had this major devastating event. Is, is there anything that you think is different um, in the vibe of the neighborhood now than might have been the case in like September of 2012, right before the storm? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the, you, you look at how much progress we've made. I'm, we're building a $40 million new Far Rockaway library. Uh, historically, many of the places that flooded in the Rockaways, you are seeing, we're spending about a billion dollars in infrastructure in my district alone in the Rockaways, right? Um, and that's not even counting just, that doesn't encompass just the $2 billion we got. Southeast Queens and the Rockaway. So a lot of infrastructure investment. Um, you're, the, the vibe is, I mean, you have hipsters coming in, obviously. We've become this food mecca as well. So that's been interesting to see how um, people have discovered places like Harvard now and are coming down to restaurants like Goodies, who've always had the greatest um, food, but also the restaurant scene is, 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 is definitely picking up out there um, as well. Um, the development going on down in downtown Far Rockaway, we have about seven to close to 3000 units in the pipeline. If you come down there now, you will see 
jackhammers on every corner, hotels coming up and, and being built, new plaza space. We got $20 million in new parks. I got $60 million in Bayswater Park right now. I think the Parks Department just emailed me yesterday to close uh, with the contract on it. So there's been amazing investment, something sorely needed for 40 years. And uh, we're turning a tide here. There is, there is a feeling of hope in the Rockaways, unlike before. Donovan, we're almost out of time. I have one more quick question to ask you. With all this, this building and business uh, generation going on, um, is there any kind of business that isn't there that you would like to see somebody open? Oh. Is a message to anyone thinking about it? <laughs> um, well, the beauty is we have close to a little bit over 200,000 square feet of new commercial development coming in. Everybody's looking for <clears throat> sit-down restaurants. People are looking for entertainment as well, movie theaters, um, arcades. Um, that, those are the areas we're sorely lacking. If we could fill those gaps, it would be a trip to a tremendous benefit of the residents uh, in the Rockways. We are building a community center like I said, but we have, uh, while the rest of the city will be talking about the need for more commercial, we are building new commercial development with a lot of housing, close to 10,000 units of new housing. So come to the Rockaways. It is hot. The market is hot. It is hot. All come right. The best beach on the, on the East Coast. Well, certainly in New York City, it is. Uh, <laughs> our second guest on Rediscovering New York on our episode about Rockaway has been Council Member Donovan Richards, who represents the 31st District of Queens, which includes the Rockaways, well, includes the Eastern Rockaways. Donovan, thanks so much for being a guest on the show. Thank you for having me, Jeff. God bless. Be safe. You as well. If you have comments or questions about the show, or if you'd like to get on our mailing list, please email me, jeff at rediscoveringnewyork.nyc. You can like us on Facebook, and you can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter. My handles there are jeffgoodmannyc. Once again, I'd like to thank our sponsors, the Mark Myman team, mortgage strategist at Freedom Mortgage, and the law offices of Tom Siaka, specializing in wills, estate planning, probate, and inheritance litigation. One more thing before we sign off, I'm Jeff Goodman, a real estate agent at Halstead in New York City. And whether you're selling, buying, leasing, or renting, my team and I provide the best service and expertise in New York City real estate. To help you with your real estate needs, you can reach us at 646-306-4761. Our producer is Ralph Storier. Our engineer is Sam Leibowitz. Our special consultant is David Griffin of Landmark Branding. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time. ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. I'm the aptly named host of Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio, big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. 
fundraising, board relations, social media. My guests and I cover everything that small and mid-sized shops struggle with. If you have big dreams and a small budget, you have a home at Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Fridays, 1 to 2 Eastern at TalkingAlternative.com. Hey, all you crazy listeners. Looking to boost your business? Why not advertise on Talking Alternative with very reasonable rates? Interested? Simply email at info at TalkingAlternative.com. Talking Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant. And on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. listening to the Talking Alternative Network at www.talkingalternative.com. Now, broadcasting 24 hours a day. Talking Alternative. Do you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. 